Frank Skinner in conversation with Al Gore on Absolute Radio. This is Frank Skinner on Absolute Radio. The next hour is going to be a little bit different from what you might expect. From my perspective, it's not Saturday morning, and from the station's perspective, there will be no Nickelback. But it's all for a very good reason. I'm going to be talking to a man who has had a massive impact on global attitudes to climate change. The film An Inconvenient Truth is a double Oscar winner, and since its release in 2006, it's been included on school curricula around the world. 11 years on, he's back with an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power. My guest today is Al Gore. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Mr. Gore, what a pleasure. Now, is Mr. Gore okay as an address? Uh, Of course it is. Al is okay as well. Al as well. Well, it's so rare I get to call anyone I'm interviewing Mr. I might stick with that. But thank you. Your adequacy also works. (laughs) I just noticed that in in your new film that the mayor of Georgetown, Texas, calls you Mr. Vice President. And I thought, oh, God, do you keep that title forever? <laughs> well, the U.S. is a, a little unusual in that respect, and some people do that, but you certainly need not. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, it's, it's, as I say, it's great to have you on, and I'm, I have much to ask. Can I tell you, first of all, something that happened to me? I went to a screening of your new movie, and we were given free tea on the way in, including a plastic spoon. And I said to the guy, what do I do with this spoon after? And he said, just put it in the bin. And I said, this is an Al Gore event. <laughs> I, I can't do that. And I honestly, I licked it clean. I took it home and it is in my cutlery drawer. Well, good for you. And that is down to you. Uh, <laughs> Would you think it's fair to say that, that the first movie, An Inconvenient Truth, do you think it changed the world? Is that an overstatement or is that a fair thing to say? Well, not for me to say, but many others have made generous uh, assessments of the impact that movie had. I run into uh, people all over the world who say very generous things about the impact it had on their lives and the number of people who changed the course of their lives, started new businesses, went into government service, started NGOs. So it, it, it makes me happy when I hear stories like that. Yeah, it's, do you feel slightly disappointed that you needed a sequel 10 mm. years later? Does that suggest that the, the progress hasn't been quite what you hoped it would be? Well, the title, An Inconvenient Sequel, yes. <laughs> Truth to Power, captures that a bit, I suppose. We've actually made quite a bit of progress globally. The problem is worse. The climate-related extreme weather events are more numerous and more destructive, and that's not progress. But we have seen the organization of a global response. We've seen some very dramatic developments in the technology area with solar electricity, wind electricity, electric cars, batteries, a whole range of other technologies that help us reduce emissions become eminently affordable now. Mm. And uh, that, that, that is progress. And of course, we've seen the Paris Agreement a year and a half ago, which was an historic breakthrough, in spite of Donald Trump's opposition to it, the U.S. is going to meet our commitments without Donald Trump's leadership. Yeah, he he becomes a sort of Darth Vader figure in the movie when the the final caption says um, President Trump 
uh, announced that the US would be withdrawing from the Paris Agreement. The next to final caption. After that oh, yes. uh, are some more that uh, show how um, the American people are, are leading without him. And actually, the day he made that speech, June 1st, I was very concerned that other countries might use it as an excuse to withdraw themselves. But I was very happy one day later when the entire world redoubled its commitment to the Paris Agreement. And in the United States, our largest state governments and hundreds of cities and lots of business leaders all stood up to say, we'll fill the gap, we're going to stay in, and we're going to meet the U.S. commitments without Donald Trump. It's really, I find that amazing because I always think that if America aren't involved, I, I saw an interview with Vladimir Putin recently, and he was talking about NATO. And he said, well, look, if America withdrew from NATO, that would be the end of it. And I kind of think that's true of more or less every international agreement. So I'm surprised you're um, putting a, a, such a brave face on, on Trump's statement. It seemed to me like a, it would be a major blow. Yeah, I feared it would be. It turns out not to have been. And I think one reason for that is something we all learned in school. Uh, It's the law of physics that says for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And sometimes that plays out in politics and public affairs. And the reaction to Donald Trump and the reaction to his decision on the Paris Agreement has been quite extraordinary. It has led to the biggest upsurge in grassroots activism that I've ever seen, at least since the anti-Vietnam War days. So he could be great news for the climate change movement. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far <laughs> because we... Well, as a polarising effect. Well, yes. When uh, you think, do I want to be in the same camp as this guy? Yeah. Then I'm, it, might, it might fire people off. I, 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 think I think it is having that effect. Now, I think we could make even more progress, even faster, if he was on side and if he mm. brought his uh, core supporters with him. But he I- is opposed, and so we have to work around him. And the, the good news is that a lot of people are quite put off by what he's been doing and saying, and they're organizing on their own. I've seen this before, by the way. Uh, I know we're a little bit off topic, but years ago, when... Ronald Reagan was a candidate for president in 1980. He started talking about the evil empire, and he wanted to restart the nuclear arms race. And in short order, people were so worried by all that that the nuclear freeze movement emerged. And a huge grassroots uh, movement uh, ultimately led to a successful arms control agreement, and Reagan himself eventually changed on that. And so I I do think that the way he's been behaving uh, has inspired a lot of activism that might not have bubbled up in the same way without him. I mean, to be fair to President Trump, which is I don't often start sentences like that, but he he made it pretty clear before he was voted in Mm. that that was his view on climate change. Mm. And so he's not the bad guy in this. I guess the people who voted for him, knowing that, are the bad guys. I mean, the fact that he was then voted in on that ticket, does that mean, does that make you feel like you've failed as far as the American public is concerned? 
Well, first of all, I think that the majority of his voters were not supporting him on that issue. And, and the polling shows that two-thirds of the American people disagree with him. A majority of Republican voters disagree with him. A plurality of the people who voted for him in the Republican primaries disagree with him on this issue. So I, I think there was a generalized uh, anger at the way things are going. I think you saw the same same thing with the Brexit uh, leave campaign mm. here, and we've seen similar manifestations in other countries. Middle income wages have stagnated for decades, and the causes are complicated, but the anger is palpable and real. And so when a demagogue com comes along and focuses that anger on, you know, make America great again, his slogan and all that that... Uh, all that surrounds that, I think that people wanted to kind of turn the table over, so to speak, and say, all right, we've had it. We'll even vote for this guy if that's what it takes to send a message. Yeah, I mean, everyone you vote for, they don't tick every box, but I would have thought the fact that he might be party to destroying the planet is quite a big thing to forgive him yeah. on when you're making your your choices. I, I agree. I would say, and I think this is said about Brexit as well, I come from a... Um, a, a, a from a working class background and I think there is a there is a general sense of a lot of sort of straight talking perfectly bright intelligent working class salt of the earth people thinking we're fed up of mm -hmm. of pinko liberals telling us how to mm -hmm. think mm -hmm. and that's what this isn't it a problem for the climate change movement that it is kind of certainly I think in this country I kind of associate it with the middle classes to some extent with people who have maybe went to university, not with, to use Hillary Clinton's, not with the basket of deplorables. I mean, there seems to be, I have a foot in both camps, so mm -hmm. I have sympathies with people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who think, oh, I don't, is this just people telling us how to think again? Mm. Yeah, I think that, I think that there has been, because of this uh, deep, concern about the stagnation of wages and also the growing inequality of income with such a large percentage of the new income going to the very top of the income ladder. That really makes people mad, understandably so. And, and for all of the people who said globalization is going to help everybody and uh, all these trade deals are going to help everybody and People who feel left behind, I, I, I think, had an impulse to say, well, the experts aren't that hot, uh, so maybe they're wrong on this too. Yeah, I just don't know how saving the planet became a middle-class thing rather than a working-class thing. We're all in the same yeah. horrible, scary boat at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, well, the large carbon polluters have spent a lot of money trying to focus the general anger against the climate uh, advocates and... In this, they have, at least in my country, they've used the the playbook written by the tobacco companies years ago who pushed back against the medical consensus on smoking and lung cancer by spending a lot of money. They hired actors and dressed them up as doctors and put them on camera to falsely reassure people that there were no problems at all. And the, the carbon polluters have actually taken that same blueprint hired some of the same PR professionals and have spent over a billion dollars uh, intentionally creating confusion and false doubts and driving a partisan 
wedge into the discussion of climate and making it almost a, a tribal uh, badging exercise mm. if you're not uh, you know skeptical of <laughs> what the scientists uh, say then maybe you're with the other side yeah it's almost like um flower power and peace and love movement of the 60s it's seen as this whimsical impractical thing that people believe in which us real people we know we love coal and Mm. oil and all that stuff and yet two-thirds do uh, support action and understand it and globally it is one of the two top concerns the u.s is a bit different the uk may be slightly different but globally uh Climate and terrorism are the two biggest concerns. I just came from Germany, where it is the number one concern, uh, outranking terrorism, even though they've had these terrorist attacks. Uh, and I think that one of the reasons why it is an issue recognized by people in every income group now has to do with Mother Nature. These these climate-related extremes are so common now. Every night on the TV news is like a nature hike through the book of Revelation. Whether the newscaster connects the dots or not, people are connecting them. Just yesterday here in the UK, there was a, one of these rain bombs that had a month's worth of rain in one day. In my country this week uh, and last week, both New Orleans and Miami were flooded out and partially paralyzed by one of these rain bombs, seven inches of rain in two hours. Can I tell you that heavy rain is not a new phenomenon in this country? It's No, but it, it, it actually is much heavier now than it has been. And a year ago, December, the all-time historic rainfall occurred here in the UK, if you, if you recall. This is Absolute Radio, and there's more from Al Gore next. Frank Skinner, in conversation with Al Gore on Absolute Radio. There was part of me when I went to see the new movie that I thought maybe the problem has been solved and the governments have got together and said, well, it should be Al Gore that announces it. And so you were going to come on and say, you know what? It's OK, guys. I thought I was looking forward to that. In fact, it was more... I felt like I was one of those Roman slave galleys and in, in, you were coming up with the whip hitting us across the back, reminding us we've got to keep rowing. I missed that part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the message, isn't it, that we've, we haven't really dented it yet. Well, uh, no, the problem's been getting worse, and we're, we're putting today another 110 million tonnes of this global warming pollution into the sky. But can I ask you about that, Mr Gore? Because it seems, as I've, as I've grown up, people in... Um, hybrid cars, wind farms, and all that. It's, it's, it's ha- I've watched it happen and blossom and grow. Yeah. I need you to tell me that we can see some evidence that it's making a difference. Yes. And it, it, you seem to suggest that it, it isn't working all that No, effort. no, no, it is, it is working. We're gaining on the problem. Global emissions of uh, this global warming pollution have actually stabilized in the last three years for the first time. And they've been going down in Europe and North America. And they're going down in China, too, for three years in a row. Some of the fast-growing developing countries are still increasing their emissions. Uh, and, um, and yet still, globally, we have stabilized. That's not good enough because we need to start bringing it down. 
But the good news is that electricity from solar photovoltaic panels is now getting so cheap in many areas of the world. Uh, three contracts uh, were signed just within the last couple of months where unsubsidized electricity from solar is being uh, contracted at less than half the cost of electricity from burning coal. Globally, for the last seven years, the global investments in new electricity generation have been way more in renewables than in fossil fuels. So in the U.S. last year, 75% of all the new electricity generation came from solar and wind, virtually none from coal. So there is some good news, but yes. we, sh we shouldn't shout it too loud in case people stop trying. That's essentially correct. Mm. Uh, we're, we're, we're making progress. We're not yet making progress fast enough. But a famous economist uh, once said, Rudy Dornbush, he said, things take longer to happen than you think they will, and then they happen much faster than you thought they could. And that's what characterizes solar and wind and now electric cars. Uh, and, and, and batteries and hundreds of new efficiency technologies that don't get the news media attention, but they're extremely important. The film starts very bravely, I thought, with a, a series of disparate voices all criticising you quite heavily. Mm. Um, I don't know if that was a good tactic mm. or not, because mm. I thought, you know, I had no doubts about Al Gore until I watched this film. <laughs> Seems everyone hates him back home in America. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good thing that I didn't have control over the editing <laughs> of the film, because uh, not only because of that reason, but because in my mind, I'm much younger and thinner with darker hair and a lot of those scenes would never have made it into the movie. <laughs> well, you are. Um, the, the, I suppose it's sad in a way that there's lots of footage of you much younger basically saying the same things. And I thought, oh, God, this is such a long, long ascent for Al Gore to keep climbing this mountain. <laughs> I've been at it for 40 years, but I've learned a lot on the way uh, and... One thing that's different now is that the hope is much more tangible and real. You remember the scene uh, describing what Chile, the nation of Chile is doing mm. with solar energy. It's absolutely stunning. And the scene in Georgetown, Texas, where a conservative Republican Trump-supporting mayor of the most conservative Republican city in Texas, as they describe themselves in the heart of oil country, He's an accountant, so he did the arithmetic, and he decided to convert his entire city to 100% renewable electricity. And now their bills have come down considerably. The air is cleaner, and it's kind of a side benefit that they're helping to save the future of humanity. That seems to be the way forward. If you can get people thinking, I'll save money if I do this, yeah, yeah. I think trusting that the great moral crusade across the board is quite bold. <laughs> yeah, we, we do need both because mm. the way the public thinks has a profound effect on government policy. And governments around the world are now still subsidizing dirty fossil fuels at a rate 40 times more than the meager subsidies for renewable energy. Is it, is, is it basically about money? When I think of it as you and a lot of people in shoes that might have been made from um, cabbage leaves, sitting around talking, and then on the other side, a lot of rich 
men, I'm thinking that they're men, who run oil and gas and coal, thinking, no, these guys, we're going to lose a lot of money if, yeah. if these guys get the message through. Is, he, is that basically it? Yeah, it's a big part of it, for sure. Absolutely. Because those men, I always think, are men who generally win. They are winners. They are powerful, bullying individuals who get their own way. Uh, often, but when there are enough people at the grassroots who are sufficiently passionate and concerned, then democracy can win out. And this climate movement is similar in many ways to movements in the past to, for example, give women the right to vote. There were wealthy men, (laughs) powerful uh, then, who hated that idea. But over time, it became seen as a simple choice between what's right and what's wrong. Uh, Same with the civil rights movement. When I was growing up in the South in the United States, when the civil rights movement was gaining momentum, believe me, the resistance to that movement among yeah. white Southerners was at was even stronger than the resistance. I think it still now. exists, doesn't it? That resistance. Yeah, well, and we still have to make progress, but we have made a lot of progress, uh, and the same is true more recently with gay rights uh, and. Uh, my generation and even yours uh, might have had many resisting it, but young people said, what is the big deal here? And in my country, if somebody had told me even five years ago that in the year 2017, gay marriage would be legal in all 50 states and two-thirds of the American people would accept, honor, and celebrate it, I would have said, well, I sure hope so, but I think you're being completely unrealistic. Yeah. But it happened. The late Nelson Mandela said during the struggle against apartheid once, he said, it's always impossible until it's done. And I think the climate movement is approaching that kind of political tipping point. Yeah, you know, I'm like I say, I'm more worried that it seems to be winning, but I'm not seeing the effects of it mm. as quickly as, as I hope we might. Now, at the beginning of the film, you're compared to the um, Nazi minister of propaganda... Goebbels. Yeah. I I try not to name-check him, if I can avoid it. Um, The naysayers, the anti-Al Gore people, what is their general line of attack? What do do they think your motivation is if it's not purely to save the planet? Well, there's a time-honoured tradition on the part of people who hate a particular message to attack the messenger. So yeah, I suppose it should be c- considered an honor to be attacked by such people. It doesn't always feel that way. But, uh, but what do they think you're up to? Do they think, I mean, can I ask you, do you have a, a tremendous renewable energy company that's going to make billions if this thing kicks off? You know, uh, I, I have invested where I've put my money where my mouth is at times and have invested Uh, in some companies that I hope will succeed. But I've been doing this for 40 years, and the other is of relatively recent vintage. And everything I make, I put into the, from that, I put into the Climate Reality Project, which finances these trainings. And by the way, 100% of the profits from the movie go to training new activists around the world as well. So I don't understand what, what, what is the the source of their attack? What 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 do they think you're doing that's 
bad other than um, spoiling their potential earning? Well, you'd, you'd have to ask them, but, but I think that what they hate is the, the message itself, and they think it's easier to attack anyone who delivers it. And by the way, I'm in good company. When Pope Francis came out with his historic encyclical on the global environment, conservatives in the church started attacking the Pope mm. uh, in bitter terms. And uh, anyone who sticks his head up above the, the, uh, the, the, the trenches on mm. this issue draws attacks. Yeah, well, the Pope, had a, he had a nice phrase. He talked about intergenerational solidarity. Yeah. In that you actually really care about the generations to come as much as you do the, your, own, your own children that might be sitting at the fireside with you. Yeah. Which is a difficult thing to do. But it seems to me that if, if that could happen, then you've kind of won. Yeah. Yeah. And w- human nature being what it is, it is indeed sometimes difficult to make an appeal be- based on our duty to future generations. But but some people do respond to it, as, as we all should. But the reason why these extraordinary climate-related extreme events now are having such an impact is because it's affecting us now in this generation. Well, I've got to be – I have a confession to make. I, have, I haven't been great on the recycling and – and all that thing. Because the film starts with images of ice melting. Mm. That, to me, it seems a long way away, mm. Mr. Gore. It doesn't affect... You know, I've always associated ice melting with a positive <laughs> renewal of life and yeah. the summer is coming and all that. Getting worried about... You know, I'm still pretty resentful about what happened to the Titanic. (laughs) But it's hard for me. I don't think until I became a father, which Mm. I did quite late in life, I now have a five-year-old, and when I take him to school in the morning Mm. and I can taste the dirt in the air, Mm. it's only Mm. since then Mm. that I think of his little lungs getting poisoned. Mm. And you need... I think it's all about... It's down to you, if you like, and your people to find those things, those things that really hit you in the stomach and think, actually, I'm not going to let this happen. Yeah, yeah. A couple points. Uh, Number one, if you lived in a city like Miami, Florida, you would feel differently about the melting ice melting much faster. I saw a fish from the ocean swimming in the streets of Miami on a sunny day just because it was high tide. And there are many coastal cities and coastal regions that are faced with imminent catastrophe. And some of these low-lying island nations in places like Bangladesh, I mean, this is, India's just finished the biggest steel fence in the world on its border with Bangladesh because there are all these millions of climate refugees going north. But secondly, where your child uh, is concerned, Something very similar to what you felt when you tasted dirty air and were holding your child's hand. Something very similar to that has happened in China and India. In China, in northern China, life expectancy has gone down five and a half years just because of the air pollution from burning coal. And it became a political issue not least among parents of young children who said this is unacceptable. Now, the pollution that causes that uh, dirty air is 
different from the global warming pollution, but it comes from the same practice of burning coal mm. and other dirty fossil fuels. And so the, the revolutionary changes now being made by China and India have been driven in part by new members of the middle class in those countries who have some additional awareness and political power saying to the governments, this is unacceptable. We, have to, <laughs> we demand change. And, and it's contributing to a lot of change. This is Absolute Radio, and there's more from Al Gore next. Frank Skinner in conversation with Al Gore on Absolute Radio. I know this is something you're asked a lot, but I, I don't know if all our listeners will be aware of the fact that you really, really nearly became president in 2000. You got about as close as you can get. You, you hit the woodwork. <laughs> Except for one, one vote on the Supreme Court, one, yes. one justice. Now... Might we look back when we're living in some some terrible dystopian world where <laughs> most people have been destroyed, might we look back and think, you know what, if Al Gore had won in 2000, terrorism might not have increased at the level it did because probably the Iraq war wouldn't have happened. And also the global issue would have been put right there. And with all due respect to you, and I think I've heard you say this, you're an influential man, but the President of the United States is probably the most influential man or woman on the planet. Do you think we'll look back and think it was Florida's fault? They destroyed the world. They didn't vote for Al Gore. If we ever, God forbid, end up living in that dystopian world, I think that those kinds of thoughts will be pretty far down on the list. <laughs> well, and as for the, as for the as for the underlying question, I, I don't know how to run the experiment. Maybe when they finish that time machine, we'll <laughs> be able to go back and undo that. Is there any way that the your entire momentum now, the whole climate change thing that you've been at the head of, is it a sort of Having not won the presidency, is it a sort of mission replacement therapy? Did you need a purpose and it was taken away from you and you needed an, another one? It's not all about me. Um, no? <laughs> but, oh, but don't I will be answer, modest. But I will answer your question um, in a slightly different way. Uh, when that Supreme Court decision came down and I checked the Constitution and realized that there's no intermediate step between a, a final Supreme Court decision and violent revolution and decided I, to support the rule of law. Sorry, just for the benefit of our, yeah. of our listeners, can I just very briefly, it was a very, very tight vote indeed between you and George Bush. There were several recounts and in the end, the Supreme Court basically said, this is it. No, well, they stopped the counting. They stopped the counting. They stopped the first count of the votes. Yeah. Uh, uh, many, many of them. Uh, and I, I bitterly disagreed with that decision, but I supported the rule of law, which in this country and in mine is the bedrock of self-government. And, um, you know, Winston Churchill uh, famously said of the Americans, they generally do the right thing after first exhausting every available alternative. <laughs> and uh, I, that's essentially what I did. Uh, and uh, back to your question a few moments ago, I really had no idea what I was going to do. And I, I see it as an enormous uh, privilege and indeed a source of joy to have been able to find work that feels like it justifies every bit of energy I can pour into it. 
you know, if you have work you really love and it feels like you're doing some good and making the world a better place, that's a that's a blessing, mm. and it has been for me. I work as a as a stand up comedian. Mm. One thing I thought when I watched the first film mm. was this guy's used up all his material here <laughs> in a film. You know, there was some good lines and stuff, and now you've done it all again. Mm. When you didn't win the presidency, you basically did what a lot of comics do when they when the TV show gets pulled. You went on the road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you really went on the road. And the fact that you made a world-changing film about a science slideshow <laughs> is quite an achievement. Are you still are you still doing that show now? Still Yeah, definitely. Still gigging. Yeah, and it only took me 11 years to find new material. <laughs> Yeah, obviously things aren't as bad as as you really need them to be. I, I have uh, um, I have about forty thousand slides at this point. Wow! I'll show them to you later. No, you it's, I'm actually uh, I just remembered a previous <laughs> but, appointment. But I pick for each of these slideshows, I pick out a couple of hundred uh, that are tailored to whatever country I'm in and whatever the particular. Uh, concerns of the audience might be. Every single day, I I have a large staff uh, in Nashville that helps me scour the internet every day for the new scientific studies, the new extreme events, the new developments in beneficial technologies. And um, it's actually an exciting narrative. It's an exciting time of history. We are going to win this. I I am very legitimately, I'm very hopeful. But uh, back to a point you made earlier, hopeful, but we're not yet winning it fast enough. Mm. I think we will, for sure, but we still have to get there. There's a bit in the movie, and I don't want to do spoilers on this, but there's a bit where um, I got really quite emotional, and that is you're in Paris, and the terrorist attacks mm. happen. Mm. Normally, I mean, when I heard about that on the news that night, I was tearful, but I couldn't help thinking in the context of the movie. Mm. And, of course, there's there's no way I'm trying to play down what happened in Paris. It was a a night of horror and tragedy. But terrorism, we all have a very real fear of. We can see it. The truth is that global warming will probably end up killing a lot more people than terrorists ever will. Already does. Uh, yeah. So how how can you get across that same impact? It's almost like, and I hate to say this, but one way of changing people's minds about anything is a high-profile human tragedy. Mm. We don't need that, do we, to, to get people to really care about this topic. Mm. Yeah, you're putting your finger on something that's really important. One of the reasons it's been hard to mobilize public opinion so far, we're getting there, but one of the reasons it's been hard is that we're not used to thinking in global terms. Mm. And if something happens on the other side of the world, it's harder to feel the intimate personal connection to it. And if it plays out over a longer period of time, the same disconnect can take place. 
But now that people are feeling it in so many places around the world in, in real time, they, they are connecting the dots. Um, but, but, but you're quite right that, that that's been one of, the, one of the challenges. But, you know, a big uh, public opinion survey of the entire world just came out last week showing that this is now, along with terrorism, uh, one of the two top concerns in countries around the world. Different in my country, it's farther down the list. The carbon polluters have been more active there. Different here in the United Kingdom. I just was in Germany two days ago. They've had a number of terrorist attacks, as you know. Climate is the number one public concern in Germany, on the minds of people right now. And I, and I think that enough people ha have made the, these connections that they, they realize this really has to be dealt with. Uh, one thing in Europe, you know, the refugees from the Middle East and North Africa have been coming for a, a number of reasons. But one of them is the climate-related drought in Syria from 2006 to 2010, the worst in recorded history. It killed 80% of the livestock in Syria, destroyed 60% of their farms, all this well before the Syrian civil war broke out, drove a million and a half climate refugees into their cities where they collided with other refugees there from the Iraq war. And when WikiLeaks released all those documents, some of them had the conversations of the government ministers in Syria where they were saying, this is going to cause a social explosion. We can't deal with this. And although there were other causes of the civil war in Syria, this was one of the main ones. And all these refugees that have been coming across the Mediterranean, some of one of the causes is this uh, the climate-related drought. And there are now uh, some areas in the Middle East and North Africa that are in danger of becoming literally unlivable. Some cities have had a uh, heat index, uh, the feels-like temperature as high as 74 degrees, 165 Fahrenheit. People can't live in those conditions at all. And so they pick up stakes and move. But this is how to sell the climate change movement to the Brexit voter. Say it's well, going to bring in a lot of migrants. One of the, one of the uh, biggest uh, advertisements for Brexit was a huge billboard. I know you saw it with an endless line of refugees at the border of the eastern of the European Union, and they were refugees that looked like they were coming from the Middle East and North Africa. Have you spoken to President Trump man, man to man on this topic? I have. Is there any common ground at all? You know, a couple of years before he started running for president, he signed a full-page newspaper ad in the New York Times demanding that Barack Obama do more to solve the climate crisis. So he's been in different places on the issue. I went to see him after the election, I talked with him, and the conversations continued after he went into the White House. And I have protected the privacy of those conversations mm. because I think any president's entitled to that Until respect. now. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going uh -oh. to violate that now uh -oh, either, Mr. but I will Google. simply tell you that I really, I had reason to believe that he would stay in the Paris Agreement. That was my purpose, to convince him to. And I thought he would come to his senses, but he, I was wrong. He didn't. You see, what worried me about the movie is we see you at Paris 
trying to broker this agreement. It's 195 countries. Yes, yes. So it really, it's a pretty important thing, it's fair to say. Yeah. And I, I, India are not the bad guys because they argue quite well. It's all right for the Americans. They've had 150 years of fossil fuel to yeah. celebrate, you know, to, to, to live off. Yeah. And now they want us to start getting wind farms. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty powerful argument. It's easy to understand their point of view, for sure. But you just about win them over. Yeah, well, they have been won over in, in, in important respects. They, they have now closed lots of coal-burning plants. By the way, they just announced two months ago that in only 13 years, 100% of the new cars and trucks in India will have to be electric vehicles. That's amazing. That's 10 years before the United Kingdom has pledged to do the same, or France. Uh, and, and now they are building solar farms like they're going out of style. It's quite dramatic, the change. But you kind of pay them to sign the agreement mm. in the movie. That's, mm. You get them a really good deal on a, a tax thing, is that right? Which you sort well, of... The, the, they, they wanted two things. One was access to credit to borrow money. And by the way, when interest rates are nearly zero in the rich countries, they have to pay 13% to switch to clean energy. That's ridiculous. So the World Bank came through with a loan after the Paris Agreement. And then they have always wanted access to advanced technology uh, in, in the West. And, you know, some companies are now willing to share their technology because they want to create a better world. But that's what worries me most about President Trump, I think, because I think someone that powerful shaking the House of Cards at Paris, mm. because there were a few tentative commitments mm. that more people like India could lose faith. It's that thing about keeping everyone standing right. together. Right, right. I'd like to end on a, a positive note. I went to see the film with a, a, a friend of mine, Charlotte, and who hadn't seen the first film, didn't know that much about you. And she said to me after, I want to do something. The way I feel having seen this film, I don't want this feeling to fade. I oh. want to hold on. That's great. To this. That's great. How can people do that? I resolved to get a hybrid car or a green car maybe mm. six months ago. I still haven't bought that mm. car. Mm. How can you give people that kick up the backside that's going to get us over the hill on this? Yeah, well, first of all, learn about it. I hope others go and see the movie. Um, and then it's not, it, 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 it's not unimportant to win the conversations on climate because social revolutions are won in conversations, first of all. Then use your vote and as a citizen, tell the candidates and the office holders who now represent you that this is important to you. And when you make your choices in stores and the marketplace, let them know you want more climate-friendly alternatives like the hybrid car or electric car that you're talking about. I just got an electric car myself. I had a hybrid. I got an electric car. They're wonderful. And the new models are becoming eminently affordable. The performance is great. LED light bulbs, the insulating windows. There are lots of choices that can save you money and uh, reduce your own impact. But it also sends a signal to business and industry that, that, that they need to do more. But I'll say this, um, as important it is, as it is to change things like the light bulbs, 
it's much more important to change the laws because mm. we've got a lot of good people living in bad systems and the system needs to change. We need to get off dirty coal and fossil fuels. Uh, we need to stop this uh, wasteful uh, consumption and, 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 and demand products that are made in ways that don't add to the burden to the environment. Well, I'm, I grew up watching sci-fi movies and there have been many threats to the Earth <laughs> from alien forces. And usually the people of Earth, it's the one moment they become people of Earth rather yeah. than their individual nations. And yeah. they get shoulder to shoulder and they beat yeah. this threat. Yeah. Yeah, so like an Independence Day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so hopefully you're going to be the Bruce Willis in this, <laughs> Mr. Gorn. You're going to uh, get that vest on. The time has come to beat this uh, this enemy. Well, I'm inspired by all the millions of activists around the world at the grassroots. They're the real heroes of this movement. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm going to get that car. I'm going to get rid of that diesel and get that car. You well, have inspired me. Tell Charlotte thanks. I will. She was genuinely moved. So, well done you. Thank you, sir. An Inconvenient Sequel is out in cinemas on Friday the 18th of August. If you missed any of tonight's programme, you can listen to the full interview on the Frank Skinner Show podcast channel or in the Absolute Radio mobile app. <laughs> Skinner in conversation with Al Gore on Absolute Radio.